Luke chapter 1. Uh, go down to verse 26 and let's stand in the honor of reading the words of our God as we are so thankful that the Lord has spoken to us and that we have his word uh, to guide us and that he will use his word uh, through us uh, to wage war uh, on the evil one. We'll begin in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O graced one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I am a virgin, the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Okay, so we talked, uh, we talked last week about the arm of the Lord and, and why we need to make sure we see Christmas and the Christmas season uh, and really the incarnation itself. Of course, we know that the Christmas season is really just where we're focusing in uh, on the reality of the incarnation. Uh, that, that we need to make sure that's part of our imagery, that, that we don't just see it as some uh, meek and mild instance that God is doing. This is God waging war on the evil one, waging war on sin, uh, on the evil one. Uh, and so we, we talk about that but, that, but that is just part of the imagery that we see in Scripture, part of the imagery of how we should think about the incarnation of Christ, about the coming of Christ. So what other thoughts... Uh, are we supposed to have during the Christmas season? What other things must we make sure that we remember so that we are thinking about the incarnation the right way? So that we're not just creating our own Christmas and attaching Jesus to it or attaching Christ to it, but to make sure that we're seeing Christ and the incarnation and this season, this time that we're thinking about, that we're thinking about it in a biblical way. How can we make sure that we're uh, uh, doing that? One of the difficult parts of meditating on Christ during this uh, time, during this season, is that we tend to have our thoughts sort of revolve around, again, a very mangerly scene, right? We tend to think about Jesus as the baby, and that, that's where we start to have a little bit of trouble. We're trying to think about the baby, uh, and how you, you know, how do I, how do I think about this major, how do I glorify Christ when my thoughts are so, so manger prone? So we think about 
uh, little baby Jesus, right, who is, right, not crying, definitely not crying, right, no crying he makes, and he's in the manger, and he's got, like, his little halo around his head, and, and we, we tend to think about just the, the sweetness of, of that event, so we set up manger scenes, and we, we set up nativity scenes to, to show, you know, yes, Virginia, there is a Jesus, but in God's telling us of the Christmas story, and God telling us of the incarnation, the focus the meditation of the celebration is not, is not that, that Jesus simply is, right? So when we're talking about the incarnation, God's not wanting us to just recognize that Jesus is, that, 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 that Christmas is just sort of a time to recognize that Jesus is real. When, when God is getting us thinking about the incarnation and the events around this birth of Jesus, God's not focused as much that Jesus is as he is on who Jesus is and what he has come to do. So this is why phrases like make sure you, you know, that you keep Christ and Christmas and that Jesus is the reason for the season. Those, those aren't necessarily wrong. They can just sometimes be inadequate because what we're wanting people to do is not just to recognize that Jesus was real. Not just recognize that he's a real historical figure. What we're needing people to do is to understand who Jesus is and why he was born. The, the reason Christ is in Christmas is because Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior. It's about what he's come to do. Uh, this is why it's crazy that we can have a, a town, that our city can have a, a Christmas parade with, you know, two floats of Father Christmas and three different floats of the Grinch and exactly zero floats of the birth of Jesus, Right? all the while proclaiming it as a Christmas parade. The reason Jesus is the reason for the season isn't because he was the nicest, quietest baby in the little Bethlehem daycare, but because what he came to do gave us a reason to celebrate the time of his birth. Our our hearts are not just meant to celebrate the reality of Jesus. Just make sure you have Jesus in your Christmas. Just make sure you have set up a manger scene. Just make sure you talk about him and, and that you don't just say happy holidays, but you say Merry Christmas and make sure Christ is there. We don't just want people to know that Jesus is. We want to know them to know who he is. And we must make sure that when we're celebrating Christmas, we understand what is so great about this child. What child indeed is this? Why are we celebrating the events of his birth. Jesus might be the reason for the season, but what is the reason for Jesus? This Christmas, what thought should we have about Christ? Why should we be so happy that there is a Christmas? That's exactly what the Bible is going to tell us because that's the exact question the Bible answers. When it describes these first Christmas days, it tells us why this baby born is so great. What is so amazing? How is this child going to make war on the evil one? How is this child the arm of the Lord? So let's go back to that Luke chapter 1 passage and let's see what we saw there. In this, I mean, we all, we all know these events here in Luke chapter 1. We all know this story. We probably read it in our homes around the Christmas season, maybe even once or twice or three times, going back and re- reminding each other of, of, of these events. But let's look back at this announcement uh, of, uh, of the birth of Christ. What did he say in Luke uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1? What does he say? What's he going to be? He is going to be, first, the sinless Son of God. 
He is going to be the sinless son of God. So the angel visits Mary and the angel tells us that she's going to become pregnant with a son. And what is the first thing the angel tells her? You will name him Jesus, right? You will name him Jesus. Now, we're so used to that name that we don't actually think much when, she, when the angel says, hey, this is the name you're going to give him. You're going to give him the name Jesus. But the name Jesus is biblically a very rich name, a very rich name. So that when the angel said, this is the name I want you to give him, it was a name that would have pulled back a lot of biblical imagery. Just in the name itself, the name itself literally means Yahweh saves. Uh, it means Yahweh saves. It, is the, it would be the same name as uh, Joshua. This child that, you, that you're going to give birth to, I want you to name him Yahweh saves. I want you to name him God saves. We're going to talk about that saving part in just a second, but here I want you to focus on the first part of that, the divine part. Now, this is the sinless son of God. This child is going to be Yahweh at work. This is going to be the one true God at work. So you, even in giving her the name, he is already, the angel is already establishing what is so great about this child. Name him God saves. Name him Yahweh saves. That's going to be his name. This son, the angel tells her as he goes on, this son, what, what would be great about this son? He says, this, this son uh, will be called great. And then he tells her why he will be great. What is the first reason in that text that the child will be great? He says, he will be the son of the most high. The son of the most high. So who is the most high? Of course, the most high is a name for God, the name of God, a name used to describe God since the law. You can go back all the way, first used in the book of Numbers. It's a name used for God, God most high. To say Jesus is the son of the most high is to say that Jesus is the son of God. Now, now we take this for granted. Of course, Jesus is the son of God. We know from passages like John chapter 1, John chapter 3, verse 16. I mean, this is going to be a huge part of God's amazing work in our salvation. That God doesn't just send, God doesn't just send uh, some advocate. He sends his son. Jesus is to be celebrated because he is the son of God come to earth. So the first thing is, this is the son of the Most High. This is God saving. This will be the son of that Most High. So Yahweh is going to save. How is God going to do it? How is Yahweh going to do it? Yahweh is sending his son. God Most High is sending his son. The second reason is found, he'll be great, is found in verse 32 and 33. So he's going to be great. Why? Because he's the son of the Most High. Look at verse 32 and 33. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There had always been in the Old Testament this promise, a promise of a forever king who would reign, who would rule and reign forever, of a, of a perfect king, a son of David who would reign in righteousness, and because of his faithfulness, his reign would have no end, either, either temporally or territorially. It would have no end. So it's no surprise that every king from David on was looked at under that promise and no surprise also that every king from David on very much failed in being that perfect king. 
This is one of the reasons that the Bible is quick to point out, even among the great kings that the Bible says are great, and the Bible says there's been no other king like this in all of Israel's history, no other king like this in all of Judah's history. It didn't say that very often in Israel. It wouldn't be much to be like, there was no other king as great as he in Israel's history. Uh, but in all of Judah's history, no king like this, even though it always did, it would always point out their great failures. It would always point out their failures, why they're reigned, why they died. And their reign died with them because they were fallen humans. So they were never able to reign over Israel in righteousness, even the righteous ones. This is painfully obvious by the fact many of them lived lives of and, and led people into sin instead of righteousness. So the angel is telling Mary here, this is the king. This is the king that we've been waiting for. This is the king that we've been longing for for, you know, 700 years. Here he is. This is the forever king and he will reign forever. This is the one who's going to reign over the house of Jacob. The, this notion of, of Jesus as king of the Jews was picked up not just by the Jews, but by everyone. Everyone knew that's what Jesus was coming to be. I mean, if, if we went to the birth story in Matthew, the birth story in Matthew chapter two, that's where we get the wise men. How many wise men were there? We don't know, right? We don't know, Levi. Don't buy into the propaganda that it was three. We don't know. If someone came and said, you know, there were 3,000 wise men, I'd say, okay. If someone came and said there were three, I'd say, fine. If someone said there was one, I'd say, heretic. Uh, and, and we'd be done. Yeah, we know there were men. We know there were more than one. Uh, but these wise men, where do they come from? They come from these, they're not even, they're not even Jews. They shouldn't even know this, but they come and they show up. And they say they followed a star that was leading them to the king of the Jews. And that's where Matthew then jumps in and tells us about Micah chapter five and tells us, yeah, this is what God promised that out of Bethlehem, there's gonna rise a ruler who would shepherd over his people. Well, that ruler, we now find out uh, from Luke is none other than God himself. None other than the, the son of God himself. So, so these two statements from Luke, he is the son of God and he is going to reign a sinless, perfect reign. Those two things are going to be summed up together in verse 35. So look at verse 35 of Luke chapter 1. This is, so he takes those two things, son of God, sinless, perfect reign. He's going to smash them together in verse 35 of Luke 1. And the angel answered her. This is when she says, how's this going to happen? Uh, translations probably say, for I'm a virgin. Literally, she says, I, I do not know a man which she know, understands the math and not knowing a man is going to make this hard to be. Uh, and this is what the angel says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. So this child this son of the most high, this Yahweh saves. Here the angel summarizes, this is going to happen. Holy Spirit is going to do this. The Holy Spirit's going to make this happen in you. I know you haven't known a man. I know it should be biologically impossible, but it is not impossible with God for nothing is impossible with God. Impossible is nothing to him. This child is going to happen by the Holy Spirit. It will be the Son of God who's going to come and live this holy life, live this perfectly righteous life, live a life without sin. Set apart. That's what the word holy means. Set apart. Holy to the Lord, 
set apart to the Lord, set apart from sin. So holiness always has that dual aspect, what you're set apart to and what you're set apart from. Uh, Holy set apart from sin, but also holy set apart toward God, set apart for him. He's going to live this life that has never been lived before by anybody. Anybody, not even just someone who was of the line of David, by anybody. No one has lived a life like this. And here you've got someone from the line of David who is going to live this life just as God promised. He is holy. This is the perfect life lived by God's perfect king to purchase for himself a people and to establish for himself a kingdom that will know no end, either in time or in territory. So the first thing that we see, what child is this? And that's the first part we get. In Luke, this child that is in the manger, this is the sinless son of God. That's what this child is. So when you're thinking about how can, what, what should I think about Christ when I put Christ in Christmas, who even is Christ, when I think Jesus is the reason for the season, who even is Jesus, not just that Jesus is, but who is he? Recognize he is the sinless, perfect, king son not just of david but of god himself so when you think about the child in the manger think of this sinless son of god let's look now at matthew let's look now at matthew and see what the the content of praise is there that we see for the incarnation because matthew is going to give us even even more we're going to add to this Uh, Something that was hinted at even in Jesus' own name. So Jesus' name is going to be brought up again. Uh, Luke kind of focused on the first part of Jesus' name, which is the Yahweh part, let's say. Matthew's going to focus on the second part, which is what Yahweh has come to do, which is the same. So Luke focuses on the who he is. Matthew, we're going to say, is focusing more on the what he's come to do. So what is he going to do? Look at Matthew chapter 1. Start in verse 18. Start in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So in in Luke, we saw the who. We saw the, the sinless son of God. In Matthew, we see the what he's come to do. We see the savior. So we got sinless son of God, Luke, in Matthew, we have Savior. And that just happens to alliterate. I promise that. I didn't do it on purpose. It just happens to alliterate. Sinless Son of God, Luke chapter 1. Matthew chapter 2, we have that he is going to be a Savior. Because after Mary has become pregnant, now the angel visits Joseph uh, and tells him that Mary is pregnant, not because of some form of infidelity, but rather from the Holy Spirit. But, but what we'll look at is what he says is so important about this baby. Look at verse 21. Here's where we're going to see really what this baby has come to do. So first part is kind of explaining how this happens. Doesn't go into a lot of detail for Joseph. Just like, just trust us. Uh, a promise it is of God. Uh, here in verse 21, look at what it says. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus 
for he will save his people from their sins. This would be great if God always came to couples and told them exactly what they should name their children. Uh, it would help in some battles uh, of how to say it, you know, and well, I'll go the now it'd be like, you shall call him Jesus. And then you get into the battle of how to spell it. You know, how are you even going to spell that? Uh, but here, the, the Lord tells both of them, you're going to call his name Jesus. But this time, instead of focusing on the fact that he is the son of God, this time, Matthew, the, the angel talking to Matthew, focuses on what he has come to do. And we're, so now we're starting to get into the mission of Jesus, the mission of the Christ. Why is this child here? Not just who is this child, but what is this child here to do? Why is Jesus born? Why is the Son of God, sinless Son of God, here? Is he just a show up? Is this just a surprise visit, like a spontaneous inspection that we're all hoping to pass? What does the child come to do? This son of God that's going to live the holy life that Luke talked about uh, is here. And this is the purpose behind all that he's going to do. He says, call his name Jesus. Why? So call his name Yahweh saves. Why? Because that's what he's going to do. Because he will save his people from their sins. So we mentioned in Luke, that's what the name Jesus means. And here we see it's important again. The angel makes sure that Joseph has that same name in mind. But here we see why the name is important, not just because of who he is, but because of what he's doing. And Yahweh is going to save. Call him Yahweh saves. Why? Because that's what God is going to do. Because he will save his people from their sins. He's going to save his people, save his people from what? From their sins. Since here again, we see the, the greater nature of Jesus' purpose. He's not just a king that's come to sort of just rule a field of land. He is coming to purchase a people. Here we see he's sent to, to save them, but not just from their earthly enemies, although that is certainly part of what he will save them from, not just from Rome or, or Babylon or disease or hunger, but from their sin. So the angel says this baby who's coming will be called Yahweh saves because that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to save his people from their sins. Now this is also, this is the same announcement. Like in Luke, we jumped over to Matthew and saw the wise men and saw that they were waiting for this king of the Jews. Uh, In the same way, we see that even though this is the focus in Matthew, Luke also mentions this as well. We could jump over to Luke in Luke chapter 2. Because this announcement is also what the angels give to the shepherds. So the the angel tells Mary he's going to be, you know, this son of David, uh, who's going to be this forever king that's truly the son of God come to do this. But the Magi knew about it, Matthew tells us. In Matthew it says, hey, he's going to be God saves. And Luke tells us, yeah, but there's another group that already knew he was going to do that. In this case, the angels go to the shepherds. So in Luke chapter 2, this is the announcement the angels give to the shepherds the night of Christ's birth. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. I bring you gospel. I bring you gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you. So what is this good news? It's going to be for all of you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Right? There's that still that Lucan mindset of, of this. A Savior who is Christ. The Lord. So, so what is supposed to give the shepherds joy? What is the good news? Again, not just, hey, there's a really sweet baby being born in Bethlehem. You just got to see him. 
It's the, you know, the nicest baby ever. It's a time of great joy because a Savior is born. They, t- they tell him, they tell the shepherds, this is, this is indeed the Messiah that we've been waiting for, the Christ. Just remember, Messiah is the, is the Hebrew word. Christ is the, is the Greek word. It means the same thing. It's, this is the Christ. This is the anointed one. This is one sent by God to do this. What is he sent by God to do? What is he anointed by God to do? What is he Christos by God to do? He is, he is anointed to be our Savior. That's what he's been sent by God to do, sent to save us. And so the, the angel is then joined in, in Luke by a, by a host of other angels that tell us why the Savior is to be celebrated. So in Luke 2.14, says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So God is to be praised. Glory to God for this coming Savior, a Savior who will make peace between God and man, a relationship severed by sin that is going to be renewed by the Son of God himself. Who is going to fix this? Who is going to fix our separation between us and God? God has sent His own Son to fix it. God has sent His own Son to save us from our sins. Matthew creeps into the story again here in, in, in verse 22 and notes this should come as, as no surprise. This is exactly what the Lord said He would do. Verse 22, uh, if you jump back to Matthew now, jump back to, uh, uh, to Matthew chapter 1. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Remember, Ahaz didn't want to like what God says, ask me any sign. Ask me a sign as high as the heavens or as low as the grave, and I'll give it to you. I'll prove it that I'm not abandoning you, that I'm still with you, my people. Even though there's all this judgment that's going to come. Remember Isaiah, God's lopping down nations like with an axe in Isaiah. And, and, and God says, hey, just ask me for any sign so I can prove to you that I'm not abandoning you. And Ahaz, he, he gets all pious, right? And he's like, I would not want to test God with a sign. And God's like, okay, I'll give you a sign, right? <laughs> I'll give you the sign. How about this one? A virgin will have a baby. How about that? And you'll call his name Emmanuel. That's what we see here in Isaiah 7. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. So in Jesus, this promise, really as all God's promises, uh, is fulfilled. This promise is fulfilled in Jesus. The Son of God, conceived by the Spirit, is indeed God with us, Matthew tells us. And He will save us from our sins. And He will refuse evil and choose good, not just for Himself, but on, the, on behalf of us all. Now, Jesus is indeed our, uh, our Savior. But the descriptions of Christ's mission are going to continue uh, in one more set of passages here. We're going to look one more time. Uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. A little later here in Luke, uh, this information again about the purpose of Jesus is going to come from Simeon. And, and I, just, I just thought this needed to be added because it's, it's such a big part of, of why the people of God are celebrating the birth of this child. So we've got, uh, what, so who, what is this child? What child is this? This child is the sinless Son of God, this child is our Savior. This are, these are all reasons that we're celebrating. But look at Luke chapter 2. Uh, go down uh, to like verse 27. 
uh, it, it, tells, it really starts to introduce Simeon in verse 25, telling us that Simeon is this righteous guy. He's devout. He's waiting for the consolation uh, of Israel. Now, the word consolation there is, is the, the root for the same word used to describe the Holy Spirit, you know, helper, uh, advocate. Uh, the I, I, idea with this word is that there's one coming who will both encourage Israel and comfort them. You, 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 you would, when you read here, you would think of, uh, you would think of like Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort, my people, says the Lord. Uh, this, is, this is who is, this is, what, this is what Simeon has been waiting on. He's been waiting on this comfort. He's been waiting on this consolation. He's been waiting on this advocate. So that's what Simeon's waiting for. God is wanting us to know this is exactly who Jesus is. He is this consolation. He is their advocate. He is their comfort their peace. If you think about it in, in terms of our uh, being delivered from evil, Satan is our adversary. Jesus is our advocate. So Satan, uh, so instead of having, if you think about life in the, in the heavenlies up there, instead of having an adversary standing among the sons of God, uh, uh, speaking guilt about us to our heavenly father, instead of having an adversary in the heavenlies, we now in Christ have an advocate in the heavenlies. And he's not just among the sons of God. Where's he? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's important to get that, that heavenly sort of, of interaction of what's going on. Instead of having Satan who's disparaging us to, the heaven, to, to God all the time, think like the book of Job, like Job's worthless. He doesn't really love you. Instead of, instead of having Satan doing that before the throne, just among the sons of God, like Psalm 89, uh, here you, we, now we have an advocate before the throne, seated at the right hand of God, at God's right hand, right next to him. So why do we need an advocate though? Why do we need to be consoled? Why does Simeon need to be comforted? Why would a righteous man, a devout man, need and be waiting for this comfort? Well, look at all the ways that God has been describing Jesus' work. And what, does, what does he focus on? He is the remedy of our sinful state, our salvation from damnation. And, and, and that's what we see here too. Jesus comes to a people broken by sin, a people even his own people, separated from God. Jesus comes to bring peace, comfort, hope, salvation. Uh, and, and that's what we need. We need to remember that, that, that in Christmas, we, we must remember, why, why, do we even, why did we need a Christmas? Why did we need a Christ to come? No, did we not, why did we not just need a baby? Why did we need a comforter? Why did we need a helper? Why do we need an advocate? We need, we need an advocate to mute the cries of an adversary. We needed a way to God. We need a savior. And Simeon is going to tell us uh, himself, tells us more as we, as we look into the song, because he breaks into a song. That's what everyone tends to do. I mean, people, people don't like musicals, but I say, you should read, read, the, read, the, read the birth stories of Jesus. Everyone breaks into a musical. It's like, people are like, musicals aren't believable. No one breaks forth into song. And I'm like, you need to read the New Testament. Because uh, every time something great happens, it's like, and Mary began to sing. Uh, and then something great happened. And Moses began to sing. Uh, and here it's like, Simeon, this old man waiting on God. And then Simeon, he's like, I just got to sing. Uh, and so it's perfectly normal for people to do that. Maybe not. I look at Luke chapter two. Look at Luke chapter two, beginning of verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, as Zachary said, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant, your slave, depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What did Simeon say Jesus was going to do? Why would he be so ecstatic at meeting this child? I mean, he's met a bunch of children. He met literally every male child in Israel. He'd met them. I mean, obviously not literally. You shouldn't use literally if I don't mean literally. He had met a lot of them. Uh, he had met a lot of them. This is part of what he did. He's in there. He sees this happening. This is all part of the custom of what every child did. Why is he so ecstatic with this child? Because he says this child is a salvation that has been prepared for all peoples. This is a light to reveal even for the Gentiles. This is, this is going to bring glory to his people, Israel. So he sees that in this child. Jesus is coming and the whole world is going to see the salvation that he brings. His birth might uh, itself be discreet, but his life is going to be far from it. As Simeon says, this is happening in the presence of all peoples. The light of the salvation of Christ is going to shine to all. The glory of God that previously shone only in the temple was held back by a cloth so that only one person a year could see it. Now that physical veil, that physical veil is going to be torn when Christ dies. But the greater veil, the spiritual veil that lay over the heart of the world is torn at the birth of Christ. God's glory is revealed for all to see. Jesus is not uh, just some, uh, going to save us by some, you know, hidden magic trick that he's going to do. He is going to save the world by a public display for all the world to see. But what's the purpose of that? What's the purpose of, of doing this? Why is all this happening in the presence of all peoples? Seeing this salvation prepared for everyone to see. Presence of all peoples. Why? What does he say? It's just going to serve as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus' work is meant to open the eyes even of the nations who at this time do not even know God. The nations who have been deceived by Satan. Jesus has come not just to bring salvation to them though. He's also come to bring uh, salvation to the Jews, to, to all who would call on his name, Jew and Gentile alike. And in doing so, he brings glory to Israel. And we know Jesus was a Jew. There's a glory in that for Israel. He was a Jew. He's of the people of God who had been so unfaithful. Uh, and yet are again blessed by their ever faithful father. And they will continue to be unfaithful. Even when God blesses them by having the glory of having the Christ child born among them. They'll continue to reject him and bear the consequences of that even up to this day. Consequences of rejecting the Messiah over and over, generation after generation. And this time, God doesn't just do something for them. He becomes one of them. And, and we'll close with this last passage today in, in just what we're looking at. The last thing that Simeon said to Mary and Joseph. Look in verses 35 through 33. Or 33 through 35. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts 
may be revealed. So this is going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles, but it is also going to reveal the thoughts of our hearts. Uh, Jesus may come to bring salvation, but here Simeon tells them, not everyone is going to rejoice in that light. Not everyone rejoices when the light of Christ shines on their dead hearts. Not everyone loves that. Not everyone loves it when the light of the gospel shows them how dead they are. That was true then, continues to be true now. You tell people, hey, I got great news. Your sins can be forgiven. A lot of people just want to say, hey, what are you doing talking about my sins? Let's not talk about that. And that's always been true. Truman says that there's going to become an opposition. And, and what's interesting, Simeon says that the main opposition is going to come from Christ's own people. Simeon says this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There is a, uh, when we're thinking about the Christ child and we're thinking about these, there's a certain pain in the manger that we must not forget. There's a pain in that, a, a foreboding, but still present. Uh, you, you can see it in the Christmas story from Herod's desires to see him killed to the point that Herod's like, kill all, all the male children, anyone, two years and under, just kill them all. To here, you've got these words of Simeon talking about a sword, that, that he's a sign that is opposed. A pain for the child is coming and a pain for Mary. And this is the pain, the, the pain of the rejected child come to a world and to a people that will deny him. He will be the glory of Israel and Israel will hate his glory for at least two millennia. Will hate his glory. They will not just deny him, they will kill him. He will face a sword, a sword that will pierce him, but there is also a pain for us in that manger. Because the sword that pierces him must also pierce us. Because in the gospel we learn that in order for us to be saved, we too must die. Like a light that is shined into your eyes when you've been living in the dark for so long, that is a painful reality. To realize that for me to live, I must die. The old me must taste the sword of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The light of Christ must shine in our hearts and show us how dead we are. That's the pain of the manger. When you go and you see the manger, you've got this glow over the, over the child and these scenes and all the, everything around it. It's all dark, but around the manger, there's this light. Realize what that light is shining and what it's revealing. Not just who he is, but who you are without him. Not just what he's come to do, but why he must do that even for you. And the pain and the burden of that event will be unbearable. And in response, we will look for hope. We will look for peace. We will look for life. And the only answer we will find is Christ. Is to stare more deeply into the light that is blinding us. To go further up and further in. You may look this Christmas and, and rejoice at the sweet baby in the manger. But do not think that he stops there. Jesus did not come just to lie or lay in a bed of hay. 
and bring us all happiness and presents and tell us everything's all right with us and with the world. Simeon was right. Christ has come to reveal to us both who he is and who we are, the very nature of our hearts. And what we will see is that our hearts, apart from Christ, are anything but right. And there will be a pain in that. But in that pain, there's also from Christ a peace, a consolation, an advocate. Without that, the pain would only be, with the pain that we feel would only be echoed by our adversary. That's right. That is who you are. And that's who you will always be. That's what Satan will do. Remember, Satan means that, means adversary. That's what our adversary would always do. Proclaim it to us, proclaim it to the Father. But now, we don't just have an adversary. We have an advocate. We have a consolation. We have a comforter. We have a helper. We have a Christ. So see the light of the manger, the hope of that child. It is this hope that we're meant to rejoice in at Christmas. And when we think about the incarnation, not that we saw who we were alone, but that Christ has shown us what we have refused to see. And in that has brought us salvation. This is no mere baby. This is the Holy One, the Son of God. He may be lying in a manger, but he holds in his hand not a rattle or a doll, but a sword. And this child comes to kill us all that we may finally live. Let's pray. For our time of response to the Word of God, I wanted to simply read the attributes of Christ that we heard today. And I want you to just pray uh, that the Lord would teach you these things about Christ, that these would be the focus of your heart. And I want you to praise God. I don't want you to just pray. I want you to praise God that Jesus is these things. I want you to rejoice that this is what God has done for you. Give thanks and pray today. Give thanks that this is really who Christ is and pray that God would show you these things. So let me just read over this list of attributes that we saw just from these few texts this morning from the birth stories. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ, the Lord. He is the consolation of Israel. 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles. He is the glory of Israel. He is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And as you think on that last one, and as you pray for God to help you understand these attributes, to help you understand who Jesus is, despite what you may have thought of him, despite what you may think of him, to make sure that you define Jesus the way that God defines him, the way that his father defines him, the way that he speaks of him, to make sure that your picture of Christ matches up with the Bible, not just with your family tradition, not with your own ideas, not with what you want him to be, but who God says he is, as you read those last things. That he reveals the thoughts of many hearts. What does Jesus reveal about your heart today? It doesn't all have to be bad. Christian, if your heart is alive, if your heart is alive and it longs for the things of God, it is not enslaved to sin anymore. You've been pulled out of darkness and you're living in the kingdom of this son. You are residing in this kingdom of righteousness because the Christ has done what God said he came to do. He has revealed to you who you were and his sword, the sword of the gospel slew the old you and made you alive. Rejoice, rejoice. See a heart that is alive for the first time for the things of God that beats by his gracious goodwill to you. You truly are a favored one. You have been graced by God. See that. Let the light of Christ reveal to you what only he could have done. Only he could have done that. You couldn't have made your heart alive. You couldn't have done this for yourself. So that means that the Christ did what the Bible said he came to do. Is your heart revealing to you that you are alive or perhaps is the light of Christ revealing to you that your heart is still dead. You know the story, you know the name, but your heart does not care for the things of God. Let these words be a sword, let it pain you. In what this reveals about you. Let it frighten you. Let it scare you as if the sword of Damocles itself were hovering over your head. And let that gospel pierce you. That you may live. Or will you continue to hang on to your old dead life until you die? Not just on earth but for eternity. You know the story. You know the name. Now come and know his purpose. Come and know his mission. Know his salvation. What child is this? This child is the savior of all who call upon him. May the words of this Christ reveal to you what Christ has been revealing since he was born, the state of your heart, so that you might cry out, O Christ, 
save me. Let this Christmas be your first Christian Christmas. Father, we come to you today, and Lord, we know, God, we know, because, because your word has shown us, Father, we know that, that this child is not, just, it's not just another baby, it's not even just the best one of us. This is you, this is you sending your son. You saw it last week, it was you sending your arm to defeat darkness. But you're not just defeating darkness out there, he's come to defeat darkness, not just in the world, but in us. And so, Father, when we think about Christmas, we want to think about just how great Jesus is, and we want to think about how wonderful he is, recognizing what he's come to do, who he truly is, and why he's here. And it's not just a festive time because we need a time of festivity and things were dark and we need a little bit of light. But the good news is that now we have an advocate. Now we have a savior who is Christ, who is the anointed one, who is the Lord. What great comfort can you bring? Comfort, comfort your people. What is the comfort? Behold your God. You have come to save us in sending your son. So, Father, help us to realize who Christ is and what he's come to do. And, Father, today, as, as your word is continuing to, to reveal to us our hearts, and there are people sitting here today, Father, many of us are sitting here today with hearts that are alive, and we're so thankful, so thankful, Father. We know that we're singing and rejoicing and we want to do Christmas right. We want to praise you. We want to think about the incarnation the right way. And we only want those things because of what you've done in us. And we recognize that. You slew us that you might make us alive. You shine that light into our Gentile eyes so that it might reveal to us who we are. We might run to you for salvation. So we, as a people today, as your body, the church, we praise you, Father. We praise you for what you've done. And we will carry that praise through tonight and into tomorrow and every day for the rest of the year. But Father, we also know that there are some that your word reveals to them just how dead they are. And that too is like a sword. Showing them that they are hopeless. They have no comfort. They have no peace. Because they do not have you. Because they cannot have you without having your son. It is only He that is the way to you, Father. So take this good news and let them fear the sword no longer. But may it plunge through their hearts, may it kill them, that they might arise anew, alive in Christ. Please, Father, work these things as only you can do. We will give you all the glory and all the praise today, tomorrow, and every day. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.